Welcome to The Wonder, exploring perspectives, rituals, and observances of modern naturalistic, earth-revering, pagan religious paths. Here are your hosts, Yucca and Mark. Welcome back to The Wonder, science-based paganism. I'm one of your hosts, Mark. And I'm Yucca. And today we are going to talk about ritual etiquette and festival etiquette. One of the things about paganism is that we tend to gather for rituals in groups. And then also most of our community forming is because we're so sparsely distributed and there are so few of us in most places, our gatherings tend to be festivals where people travel in order to congregate. And we have workshops and rituals and socializing and all that good kind of stuff. So we wanted to talk about safety in all of those contexts and, and respectfulness mm-hmm. and just kind of give some thoughts and guidelines about how best to manage various different kinds of concerns and considerations during rituals and then also during festivals. Right. And that's both from the perspective of a participant and as an organizer, we'll kind of be flowing back and forth between both of those. And so those are roles that we both play. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, some of this is because in the next few weeks, we're going to be going to the Sun Tree Retreat in Colorado, and we're starting to think about festivals. So, yes. <laughs> and the weather's getting warm, and it's getting to be festival season, and it appears that COVID has kind of waned. Yeah, so, so hopefully this will come back into being a, a more regular thing that we haven't been able to do for the past few years. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But first, why don't we just talk about group rituals? We, we were talking before we started recording, and when it comes to solo rituals, you know, if you offend yourself, that's your business. Oh, yeah. um, and maybe a good uh, thing, as we were saying. Yes, probably. Probably, there, probably there's some progress happening there. Yes, right? exactly. So we're not really going to talk about solo rituals because, you know, your etiquette is your own. And if you, if you provoke yourself in some way, then you're probably growing. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing. <laughs> but when it comes to group rituals, there, there is a lot to say. There are a lot of things that can go wrong in group rituals. And there are ways that people contribute, can contribute to things going wrong or can contribute to things going well. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about some of those. Right. And also st- starting by saying that, that these rituals are going to be happening within a larger cultural context as well. And what may be normal for Mark and my experiences might be very different if you are in a different place with a different cultural base than what Mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about. So there's that first step of just being aware of, you know, what's, what's the background that people are coming from and what's, what are just some of those basic cultural assumptions that, that are coming in. Right. For example, people who are initiated Gardnerian witches, Mm -hmm. you know, traditional British witchcraft folks, they, if they're, if they're, really sticking to what Gerald Gardner stipulated, then they're meeting skyclad or unclothed. That's not for everybody. And well, we'll, we'll talk about, I mean, a lot of what we're talking about here has to do with respectfulness and consent Mm -hmm. versus coercion. So Yucca and I, for example, would never announce a ritual where it was said that it was expected that everybody show up with no clothes on. Right. 
because that's not what you do. What you do is ask people if they would be comfortable or, or instead say, wear whatever you're comfortable in. Mm -hmm. So, and just, just going back a little bit where I was coming from with that is for instance, the, what people's expectations on personal spaces and things like that vary from culture to culture. So just to make some real broad generalizations here, if you're in a Mediterranean country, there's probably your, your personal space boundaries are going to be not as big as somebody from, you know, Northern Europe, right? There's a lot more touching, there's a lot more, and I'm sure this has changed a lot over the last few years, but, but greetings with kisses on the face and things like that, where you're unlikely to get someone from Norway to be comfortable with that just on a basic cultural level. So that's what I was saying about the starting with. And then like you were saying, Mark, within paganism, there are going to be different traditions with different expectations. Right, right. And and culture is, of course, a function of who's there, right? Yeah. So if you are having a pagan festival in Wisconsin, then the people that are there are likely to be mostly from the northern Midwest, and they're going to have a particular way of interacting with one another that may be different than people in the South or in California. Mm-hmm. Right. And even differences, you know, between if you're thinking California, northern and southern California, oh, at yes. least to me, as someone from outside the state, it seems like different places. They like very are, different, culturally different. Well, I mean, Los Angeles is almost 400 miles away from me. California is a big place. Yeah, <laughs> um, I have to drive for nine hours to get to Los Angeles. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a bunch of different places, actually, like all really large states. Yeah. So getting back to our to our subject, what are some of the things that that need to be addressed when introducing or providing the invitation to a ritual? And what are some of the things that can arise during a ritual that you want to have some preparation for? Right. Well, I mean, one of the first things to think about is the is going to be age. Right. And mm-hmm. is your ritual going to be dealing with adult themes in which it really would not be appropriate to have young children around? If not, if it's something that could have children around, how is that going to be handled? You know, how is there going to be a space created for them or letting people know the expectations? Because if, if you are going to do the style where where the little kids can kind of just run around and do whatever little kids do, then then people need to know that coming in because there's often people who aren't used to kids might be a little bit flustered by by the wildness. There's a reason we call them kids. Kids is actually the word for a baby goat, mm-hmm. not the word for a baby human. We And we call them that because if you've ever been around goats, they are hyper creatures that yes. are going to jump on everything and taste everything. So so that's something to, to think about and be really clear with the communication if you are an organizer. And if you are a family, then this is probably already on your mind, but thinking about, you know, what is, how welcome is this? What is the expectations for, for the the multi-agedness of a ritual. Right, right. And I mean, it is perfectly legitimate for you to say, you know, 18 and over, please, or, mm-hmm. 
you know, 14 and over 13 or, up, yeah. you know, what, whatever, whatever it is. But that said, I mean, my, my personal prejudice is to try to be in, as inclusive of people of all ages as possible. Um, right. I, I just feel like that's more community building. And the only exception that I would make to that is if there are explicitly sexual themes right. in, in the actual ritual that it's inappropriate to expose young children to. Right. So the particular holiday that we're coming up on right now is one in which there might be um, some sort of, you know, strong sexual themes in that, that you definitely want to just be aware of, you know, who's, right. who's going to be there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And if it isn't appropriate for kids to be in that ritual, then having some other activity supervised by one or more adults during that ritual is a really great idea because then families can still participate. Mm -hmm. They just don't, it's just that the kids aren't in the ritual circle at the time that they're doing that. So that's a way that we can be respectful and considerate of families that have children right. um, while still being able to do the thing we want to do. Right. And, and if they, and if it is something in which the children are, um, invited to be participating in it's also really important to be able to let the caregivers be able to take them out if that's what they need right mm -hmm. there it need there needs to be the the understanding that the caregiver is going to go okay you're not here you're not in the headspace you're you're pulling on everybody's beards or whatever it is we're gonna move along and and go over and hang out by this tree and have it be that there is a physical way for them to do that and that it's also socially acceptable and that people aren't gonna be weird about it right and that brings us to another ritual etiquette topic which is the understanding of what the ritual container is and how it should be dealt with how it should how it should be managed i've been in some circles where it you know, it was very formal. And the idea was, you know, if you must leave for some reason, and it has to be really imperative, then you have to do this sort of unzipping motion. Like this cutting, yeah, yes. and then recutting it, sealing right. it up. Yeah. And that's, I've been in ones too, where people have been, that's been really, really important. And it's, you know, a very big deal about, you know, we've created this space don't be crossing over any lines especially if something was physically drawn on the ground right you no know, and that and that's something to be aware of if you're coming into the pagan community and maybe you're coming from like the atheist side and you're coming in and you might be going to a pagan ritual that isn't specifically atheo pagans but is rooted in another tradition just you know, maybe be aware, kind of ask some questions about that and see where people are at with that. Cause that could be something people take very, very seriously. Right. Right. And I mean, obviously in the middle of a ritual, isn't really a great time to be asking those questions. Exactly. Yeah. So one thing to be doing is just observing what other people's behavior is. Yeah. Right? That said, forcing you to stay in a, in a ritual circle when you really need to go to the bathroom or something is that's abusive yeah you, sh you should always feel that you have the personal autonomy to leave and attend to your needs whatever they are at any time right and whether that's a physical need right like you really got to use the bathroom or you are just really uncomfortable with what's happening yeah you yeah. don't 
have to be there and it's and it's not okay for somebody to force you to be there right right participation in ritual is is a consensual act mm -hmm. it's something that we agree to do with one another for our mutual benefit and edification and that means that you can withdraw that consent at any time and we'll be talking about consent more as we get later in the podcast right now do be respectful about it right if it's mm -hmm. uncomfortable to you you know don't you know necessarily throw your hands up and start cussing at everybody unless something really warranted that right but for the most part just you know just be polite and you know just kind of bow out uh-huh right uh -huh. and what i mean by that is hopefully nothing like this would happen but you know if somebody starts groping you or something like that then you know the yeah then the, make a yeah, fuss. Th then make a fuss um yeah. but if it's just that you you're uncomfortable you know just kind of read read the circle as they say yes yeah um i mean it it is appropriate if, if there's if something is happening that you think is unsafe that's another time when it's appropriate to say you know put your hand up and step forward and say i hate to be a wet blanket here but this feels really unsafe to me and i don't think it's what we should be doing i've seen that a couple of times and i mm -hmm. felt like it was appropriate in both cases mm -hmm. um and you know one of them was just you know people jumping over the bonfire at mayday right and, you know people with trailing gauzy cotton <laughs> fairy clothing and mm -hmm. you know they were trying real hard to light themselves on fire and i was just like okay that's enough of this this has yeah. to stop right i'm glad you gave an example because i was wondering about that i was going hmm, what would be the what would be the things happening in a ritual that we might need to say slow down about well yeah. i mean and I haven't seen this, but understanding how loose boundaries can be in the pagan community, you know, it could be like, okay, the next instruction for, you know, casting the circle is we're going to count off ones and twos and ones and twos turn to face one another and kiss. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> sorry. That's yeah. not okay. Uh, that's not okay at all. Right. Um, it might have sounded really great when somebody was designing a ritual because it sounded like a really sweet thing, but it doesn't include the human factor of consent. Right. So, or maybe it work would work with your small group that you're with, but now this yes. is a larger ritual with other people in. Yeah. Right. And also it might be things too, like, you know, grab the other person's waist. That might seem at first, like maybe that's okay, but that might be something not for a lot of people. People that's might. Right. That might be, you know, too personal, too intimate. Yes. So, and this is coming again from the the organizer perspective of designing the ritual, but then as a participant, then you also have the right to go that I'm not okay with somebody touching me that way. And it's important as an organizer to let people know. I mean, it it's a terrible thing, but we learned in experiments like the Milgram prison experiment. We learned that people will go along with what everybody else is doing mm -hmm. to an extent that is really, that can be terrifying. Yeah. Um, it is very important as an organizer that you communicate upfront, we're gonna be doing this and this. If you don't consent to doing that, 
here's your alternative. You can step back, take one step backwards. You're still in the circle, but you're not participating in that activity, right? Or whatever it is, you know, what, but you, you're the decision maker. You decide whether or not you consent to what we're going to do here. And here's, here's your, your option if you don't want to do that. You know what that reminds me of? Is those mm -hmm. exercise videos where like they give the different, there's the main coach like doing the exercise and they're like, okay, well, here's the variation. Okay, watch Ginny over here if you need the, the modified push-ups or, or something like that. That's what it right. makes me think of. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so that everybody can be doing it even if, even if they can't be doing one of the other things. So. Okay, well. What else do we have? Well, there are other things that organizers can also make clear to ritual participants. And this is always a bit of a juggling act because to some degree, it can be very powerful and effective to have things that happen during a ritual be a surprise because it takes you into a novel experience that you're, you don't have a map in your mind about where it's going to go. But you always need to be cognizant that if you have expectations of how people are going to behave in the ritual, you need to spell those out for people. Mm -hmm. So for example, many neo-pagans operate in a clockwise direction in a circle. Mm -hmm. if, they, if they move around the circle, they do so in a clockwise direction. And there are explanations for why that should be so, but that's beside the point. If you expect people to move in a clockwise direction around the circle, spell that out for people when you when you brief them before the ritual about what you're going to do because you may have someone there who's coming from the atheist community and doesn't have any idea about deosil and wittershins sure and maybe use your hand to show which direction you mean to because oh. on that particular one saying clockwise and counterclockwise or or wittershins or what, whatever can be kind of confusing to people it might just help to you know do some yes. physical movement too. Right, right. Um, yes, okay. Not that, we're going the other to move, clockwise. <laughs> yes, we're going to move to the left. So all of these are important pieces. And as event organizers, in, and as you can see, a lot of this, some of this is around just traditional protocols, right? We, we usually move in a particular direction. We usually cast a circle in a particular way. If someone needs to leave, we usually do that leaving in a particular way. But a lot of what we're talking about here in terms of ritual etiquette and festival etiquette boils down to the concept of consent. Right. Paying and, attention and consent. Yes. Yes. Paying attention and consent. And that's really an important topic for us to talk about in relation to the pagan community, because we have had many incidences of interactions which have not been consensual up to and including assaults mm -hmm. um, at festivals over the course of the 50 years or so that the neo-pagan community has existed at least in north america the you can search online for examples of that there's been a lot of talk about it my feeling my very strong belief is Consent and conduct standards need to be spelled out in writing to every participant in an event. Right. And, you know, they need to be given a copy. Yeah. Right. 
right? And they need to sign, when they sign a liability waiver, that needs to include, you know, I've read the, the conduct standards and I agree to them. Mm-hmm. Because back in the bad old 60s and 70s, there was so little understanding of the nuances of what it means to be sex positive. Yeah, the people confused it for just all sex. Yeah, just be, yeah. Just being just be sexual. sexual, right? But- right. And if you were resistant to any of that, then you could be accused of being a prude or square. Yes. And a lot of people got hurt. Uh, a lot of people had experiences that they did not want to have. And a lot of people got hurt. And of course, it was mostly women. Yeah. So when we talk about consent, let, let's kind of spell out some about what we mean about consent. Consent is something which has to be affirmatively presented. Mm-hmm. A lack of no is not, is not consent. Right. You, and if somebody can't say the yes, if they cannot communicate, right, then that isn't, you mm-hmm. don't have consent. Right, right. Um, whatever means that person uses to communicate, whether it's sign language or... Right, yeah, it doesn't necessarily or, have to be verbal, but if but if it's somebody who, you know, if they're not... If someone is falling down drunk, for example, and slurring their speech, it's obvious that they're not in a position to make right. a decision to be, to be consenting. Yeah. Um, and consent to one action does not imply consent consent to other actions. Mm-hmm. Consent to an action at one time does not mean I now consent to that action forever going forward. Right. People can change their mind. They, they could think that they were comfortable with something and realize, no, you know, I'm not. This is not working anymore. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it's just really important to check in with people about, you know, is this okay? Would it be okay if, and that is, it's something that some people within the pagan community have really bristled at, particularly people that come out of that late sixties, early seventies counterculture, mm-hmm. because the free for all that was mostly enjoyed by men, mostly, mm-hmm. I mean, and I've heard from women who, you know, also enjoyed the free-for-all. So it's not exclusively sure. men, but it was mostly men. Um, they they miss that sense of boundaryless liberty. Right. We don't live in a world where that is appropriate or possible. Yeah. And that is for all kinds of reasons. It's for health reasons. It's for mental health reasons. It's for simple respect reasons of one another. And if that means that the, the, the sexy party atmosphere of pagan festivals is reduced somewhat because there is this ongoing negotiation process between prospective partners, then that's what it means. And sorry for your loss but yeah. uh your but loss I'm sure you can find somebody who's dead. into that right yes if absolutely. they're into that great awesome but you know that's not but the people have got to be into that right sure. and we're talking a lot about this in terms of sexual consent but it's not just about sexual acts right it's also just any physical holding hands it's anything that's about that person's body 
that about that person right right you know this is something that's not quite the same but it drives me crazy when people you know insist that children give them hugs or they they tickle them and the kid says no and they keep tickling them and it's like no that's the no it's like that they're not consenting to it right that's abuse yeah you may not think it's abuse but it's abuse and And then lots of people have memories of that uncle who wouldn't stop tickling them right um that are not pleasant memories yeah and another thing with the tickling is that we'll we teach kids that their that their no's don't mean no right right and so sometimes there are kids who will you tickle them and they like to be tickled and they and they go no 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 because that's what they've been taught to say mm-hmm. but they don't really mean the no but now their no doesn't have it you know, doesn't have the same power so it's right. really important that no is no right right and it and this takes work but it doesn't have to be personal like you're not a terrible person if you if the kid doesn't want to be tickled right right, right. if the, yeah. if somebody doesn't want to, isn't comfortable holding hands with you in in the ritual like it's not it's usually not about you it's about it usually them usually isn't right yeah. it's like there maybe it is but most of the time it's about them and their comfort and you know if you're insisting on it and pushing your feelings on top of theirs you know that's that's not safe it's not good it's it's abusive and or or at the least intrusive in a way yeah. that's that pushes beyond people's the boundaries that people have a reasonable right to expect as sovereign individuals right so this I mean, this can feel kind of funny when you first start doing it, right? Because it, you know, there's this elaborate protocol. You know, hi, um, I noticed you were looking at me around the bonfire, and I think you're really attractive. Would you like to spend some time with me? Yes. Well, what would you like to do? And there's this negotiation function that that enters into the conversation that may seem sort of awkward but i'll tell you i'm seeing what i'm seeing from young people in their teens and 20s is that you can effortlessly incorporate this stuff if it's what you're accustomed to doing in the same way that you you know announce your pronouns it's just it's just what you do yeah right we're we're totally used to doing other things the other cultural things it just becomes something that is just part of the culture yeah right Right. And so this is a way of our culture becoming more respectful and more safe and 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 like anything, this is not about beating ourselves up, because when we're making a conscious effort to change from from what we're used to, what we're ingrained to the culture, the the behaviors that we have grown up with, these are habits, these are strong things that are hard to break and when you slip up it doesn't mean that you're a bad person or you're an abuser or abusive and all that it the behavior wasn't okay but that's mm-hmm. but you acknowledge that and you know you might need to apologize if you can right if the, right. that's if that's going to be welcome if, if that's not maybe that's worse right maybe the person just needs to not engage with you anymore alone. right yeah. because it's not about you it's about them Right. right. And just to move on and try and do better 
the next time without making it, you know, we don't need to be whipping ourselves here. Right, right. And in many cases, rejection is also not about you. It's very, very hard to feel this. It's very hard to understand someone, you know, rejecting your advance as not being about you. And of course, it has some relation to you, but who knows what's going on with the other person? You know, you, you have no idea what's going on in their head. And, you know, it, maybe it could be anybody that they're yeah. not interested in. Um, it's, and know, even maybe, if, you know, even if there would be people that they'd be interested in, you're not it, that's not a reflection on your value. No, it is right. And so it probably wouldn't have been a great situation anyways, if they weren't into you. I mean, would you really want that? Somebody who wasn't into you feeling obligated to do something nah. with you? Cause they, that's, eh. that's no fun. Like, I don't know to me, that would feel worse. Yeah. Right. Find yeah. out later that like, Oh, they just felt obligated. They weren't. Mm, yeah. You know. Yuck. Yeah. That's no good. So, so what other protocol things etiquette things can we think of about festivals i mean just again really kind of reading the room on that you know uh -huh. what what is what's the acceptability in terms of the the level of the type of dress code or the use of particular substances or not like that's something you're going to want to check before but also you know, if nobody else is doing it and you're new to this situation, you might want to kind of check like, hey, is it okay to be drinking here? Or is it okay to be doing whatever, you know, a lot of states it's le recreational marijuana is legal now. Like, is that okay? Is that not? Uh -huh. You know, are there minors here? Just right. kind of that basic, you know, decent person awareness stuff. I think we just have to be, you know, hyper aware of that when we're in group situations and especially new situations right understanding the context is so important yeah and if you're coming into a new situation with a community of people that you haven't met with before then there may be things that are kind of under the surface that you're not aware of and it it helps to ask questions and find out the answers to them and this brings me to my pet peeve which is the mess that some pagans can make. Yes. I am adamant about cleaning up after yourself. I mean, by, by any reasonable measure, a campsite or a retreat center or any gathering place where a festival takes place that's occupied by pagans for several days should be spotless mm -hmm. when it's done because we're about the earth right yeah. we're, we're not about clusters of beer bottles left in the in the grass and cigarette butts and wrappers food, food wrappers and you know yeah. all that kind of stuff it's it, it's just that's not the way we ought to be rolling and i i really have a bee in my bonnet about this i'm I'm, I'm careful about it myself. And I really think, you know, for God's sake, bring a, bring a reusable grocery bag and just tuck stuff into it and take it back to your campsite. When you're, when you go to bed, it's, it's not hard to do. I was at an Estedvod, which is like the national Welsh gathering in Wales with poetry and the bards and everything is amazing. And was 
camping out there in the big field. And I really liked what they did is you couldn't check out until after they handed you a trash bag and you had to go fill it up before you were allowed to check out. Um, <laughs> so I think we should not get to that point in the first place. But I liked that, that nobody's going right. <laughs> until this campsite, because, you know, there were you know, hundreds of tents and and, you know, not again to make too many generalizations, but folks in Wales like to drink and party and do all that. And so there were lots, lots of bottles to pick up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you couldn't go without without bringing the bottles, even if you weren't the one who drank it. But no, I, I think that in the first place, be mindful about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and if you somehow doubt that it's possible to to leave no trace in the way that I described, think of Burning Man. That that is their ethos that you come, you have an amazing time for a week. There's this gigantic party. And then you clean up the area where you've been living until there is not one sequin on the ground, not one, you know, leftover tent peg or nail or anything until Mm -hmm. it's the, the section of the playa where you camped is absolutely bare and then you can leave. So that's an important one to me. And I think that our community will benefit in terms of its reputation by conducting itself in that way. I also think there are some folks in our community who could really benefit by developing those habits because they don't have them now. Right. Um, And, you know, I understand, you know, if you've had three beers, it can be a little bit harder to be mindful about, or five beers or whatever (laughs) it is, you know, it can be a little bit harder to be mindful about. And, you know, you're having fun, you're dancing around the fire, you're, you know, you're interacting with people. It can be easy to forget about the stuff that you left on the ground, but it's so important to, Mm -hmm. you know, to recapture that stuff and make sure it doesn't end up off into the environment. Right. Or, you know, I think that, that I hope we'll see what happens now as we're moving into a post COVID, not that COVID's gone, but in terms Mm -hmm. of COVID having happened about people's awareness about sharing drinks and foods and bottles and things. I would, I would hope that that would help people to be a little bit more aware of those personal items that are being left behind yes yes we will have an advantage at suntree retreat because the retreat center has a rule about no glass containers outside Hmm. only only within the buildings or the Mm -hmm. yurts so people will have to bring a tankard or a flagon or right or a coffee mug or which you're more invested in keeping track of exactly and you only have one of them so it's not like you know disposable bottles where you keep opening them it's just a lot a lot more efficient and a lot uh and easier to tell when it's yours and not was that was that yours was that one mine did i put mine down over there oh they have the same amount in them yeah yeah so whatever the whatever the thing is you know right so Mm -hmm. yeah so those are the things that I can think of offhand that I think people should be aware of when going to a pagan festival. I want to say, if you haven't been to a pagan festival before, don't let this whole conversation about 
stuff scare you off. You can have a wonderful experience at these kinds of gatherings. You meet really interesting, really amazing, sometimes very strange and interesting people. And delightful, just yeah. yeah, just creative and unusual, and just you know some of the best people in the world. I mean, I think the reason that I ended up in the pagan community back in my twenties, you know many years ago was because the people were just delightful <laughs> and I continue to find people in this community to be delightful you know even all these years later um, so you know given an opportunity to go to some kind of regional event or even a big one like pagan spirit gathering or rites of spring or uh, a gathering at circle farm mm -hmm. uh, really you know, check it out. See, see what it's like. Yeah. I'm getting really excited about Century Retreat. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. It's, yeah. I just can't believe how, how soon it soon is. Soon it is. I it's know. It's just really right around the corner. I mean, it's spring now and it's just, and it's going to be for, it's it's in the Rockies. It's just a lovely time of year in mm -hmm. the Rockies. And oh. what is it? Six weeks from today, we'll be there. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Six weeks from yesterday, we'll be broadcasting during the lunch hour. We'll do a live podcast during the lunch hour from Suntree Retreat, and we'll buttonhole people and interview them about their experience and talk about what's, what's going been going on. on. Yeah, which yeah. I'm sure we will have quite a bit to say on that. Yeah. And we've got some fun, fun episodes coming up between now and then. So. Yeah. We have a yeah. plan. <laughs> we do. We have a plan. We've got what four episodes mapped out? I think so. Yes. Yeah. So we always are looking for episode ideas, things that you as a listener would like to hear more about. So please let us know if, if you um, have something that even if it's something we've talked about before, we can always revisit or if it's something that we haven't talked about, we want right. to let us know. Yeah, for sure. And that's Mark, what's that email address? Oh, that is the wonder podcast cues at gmail.com. So it's the wonder podcast, all one word, qs at gmail.com. And we look forward to your comments and your suggestions. We always love getting email from folks. Yep. So thank you for a great conversation and uh, watching, the, watching the calendar and watching those days count down. That's right. All right. We'll right. see you next week. Thanks.